0: By visiting This is Tim Russ, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Open your mind to the past. Oh, this may mean something.
1: It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in. Some people think the future means the end of history.
2: We haven't run out of history quite yet. Hello, and welcome to Primitive Culture, a Trek FM podcast all about our history, our culture, and how Star Trek relates to it. I'm Duncan Barrett, and joining me this week is Trek FM's design supremo and host of Saturday Morning Trek, Aaron Harvey. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Hello. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Oh, good. Well, it's good to have you on board this week, because I'm basically, uh, regular listeners will know I'm kind of uh, holding the fort while Tony's away on an extended bout of shore leave. (laughs) And uh, and the topic I want to discuss uh, this week is something that really I'm not very well equipped to talk about. We're going to talk about design in the various Star Trek series, um, because our remit on primitive culture is kind of looking at history, looking at culture. And so far, we've been focusing on that more in terms of literature and history history and film and so on. But really, you know, we want that to be as broad as possible. And obviously visual culture and graphic design and, and these kind of things are a big part of what has always made Star Trek interesting and vivid and exciting to people and, and a big part of, of what's made the show so iconic. So I thought there was no better person to join me really to talk about this than you, Aaron, since you, you, know, you are a designer, you're, uh, you know, you're responsible for some amazing uh, works of design that everyone who listens to Trek FM will be familiar with – so I'm hoping that you will have more of the vocabulary to kind of explain what these these things are that I uh, kind of look at as a layperson and and struggle to make sense of.
1: Well, you know, Mike Okuda or Rick Sternbach, they they might have been better choices, but <laughs> <laughs> oh well, <laughs> they're a little busy. I expect so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what I what
2: I was keen to do. Um, is is probably we'll just kind of go through the various series and and look at some of the kind of design issues that have cropped up over the 50-year history of Star Trek. So obviously starting, going back right to the beginning, it was um, Matt Jeffries, really, who was the guy who I suppose was responsible initially for a lot of what we think of as as the look of Star Trek. And I was quite interested to discover that um, Matt Jeffries was a pilot like Gene Roddenberry. He flew the B-17 bombers uh, in the Second World War, which Gene Roddenberry did as well. So they kind of had that in common. And I think when he came to mm-hmm. the job of designing the original enterprise he was he was kind of bringing some of that sort of aeronautical expertise with him
1: yeah definitely um, and when you, it, when you think about it, it feels very air force i mean even mm-hmm. the basically the what they would call the the Star Trek logo or the flying a, which is the the delta shield which it 's interesting ha- i 've talked to a bunch of people and and no one's really sure where that that logo and that idea came from. What direction you know created the the, the Starfleet Delta? But I know that that nobody really that didn't that story never sem- seemed to have gotten captured. But if you look at a lot of the design from the era for airlines, air force, space, anything, that shape is sort of ubiquitous. It's just mm-hmm. everywhere. There's you know I, I think there was a. Allegheny Airlines, a local local uh, East Coast airline, had a logo that was really similar. There is, which now the term would would not fly, uh, pun intended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Northwest Orient Airlines, if you look at their logo from the forties, looks like a Star Trek badge. It's wow, kind of uncanny. Yeah, we always joke that it was like, oh, did did he get uh, some sort of endorsement from the company? <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> And there, there's also a, um, a piece of telecommunication equipment from, I believe it was the, the late 30s, that's used in the pilot in the conference room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they sort of removed the, the phone dial off of it so it looks futuristic and it's got some buttons and things. But the logo for that is called like Ampli- Amplitude or ampLA. Ampli thats what it was. It was like a, a call oh, wow. center sort of thing. The A has the curved has that A kind of and a star yeah. in it. Yeah, oh, I mean, it looks exactly like the command Delta. So we're like, right. did it come from that? Because they just happened to see the the instruction manual. I'm yeah. like, Ooh, that A, and they called it the Flying A internally. So I'm like, did well, they? Right. If you look at the um, the astrogator, which is the disc in the middle. That they use to navigate, it's really similar to a plotting device used in World War II airplanes. Right, so, right. And it's funny because my my grandfather, I came I come from an aeronautical family. My grandfather worked at Lockheed, and he always joked that it's like this It's already outdated. You know, I remember this as a kid. He was just like, that's not futuristic. That's just like spinning <laughs> dials. It's like, they, you know, even now we have computers to do this, which is funny, because now when you think about what the computers would have been in the 1970s, they'd still be gigantic compared to what we have now. Yeah. Um, but back then he was even saying that it, it, it didn't quite match, you know, real aeronautical How technology. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah to the
2: movie. to the average viewer at home, it kind of it seems futuristic and it it has that kind of feel. It's interesting what you're saying about the Delta Shield because cause, cause I always sort of I think assume the Delta Shield that it's it's basically like a star with the two top points cut off. But I suppose it's it's also got that rounded aspect to it. It's it's not they're not straight mm-hmm. lines; they're these curved lines. And I guess that was a big part of the design of the original ship compared to I mean something we might. Uh, well we will I hope come back to later is you know talking about bringing it right up to date Discovery which has those kind of sharp mm-hmm. triangle uh, triangular uh, sort of lines in it but the original Enterprise very round very kind of cylindrical very much that kind of uh, like an aircraft like a you know sort of jumbo yep. jet style design rather than like sort of commercial uh, uh, aircraft rather than a sort of more military um, style design in some ways That that's that kind of the suggestion and also the the coloring the fact that it's very plain that it's very white that it's kind of you know it's sort of gleaming it does seem very much like a sort of desirable form of transportation rather than something if you think i suppose you know jumping forward uh but but also jumping back like the nx01 which is uh you know seems much more metallic and kind of um more gritty in a sense whereas the original enterprise has that kind of very
1: smooth very uh contoured kind of design well, it's interesting that you mention that because Matt Jeffries had to fight for that. Basically, everybody wanted something to be on the hull, like to, to have texture, to have it details. And he said he wanted to keep that smooth, uh, you know, streamlined thing, not because it was streamlined because it needed to fly into an atmosphere, but because everything would be internalized. It's in space. You wouldn't have anything exposed necessarily. And it allowed for... Interesting lighting effects where you could have reflection of color and and light from planets and stars. And even though we might not really have seen that fully realized in the television show, uh, a lot of the early sketches show these really interesting highlights and colors on the hull. Mm -hmm. So it was supposed to be. I almost wondered if at one point in his thinking that it might have been even a little bit more metallic like even right. more reflective mm. because it did end up being a little bit more dull. Um, and that's kind of interesting because when we talk about the motion picture, they went into a more pearlescent uh, sort of coating that, that caused the enterprise to be a lot more reflective and, right. and shimmering. Right. I mean, I guess another
2: aspect of that design is it, it sort of, it does seem quite aerodynamic. I mean, even if it isn't meant to operate in an atmosphere, just because mm-hmm. of the shape and the cells and the kind of sweeping aspect, I, it, I mean, it almost looks a bit like a like a, a a bird gliding or something, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? It has it doesn't exactly mm-hmm. have wings, but it has a kind of suggestion of wings in the in the design structure of it that kind of, you know, maybe consciously or not, makes you think
1: of that kind of of creature gliding through the air. Well, if you go back and and look at the progression of the design, it started out sort of the, looking at at what was popular at the time and was considered, you know, the modern drama of science fiction was Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. So there was sort of this started with a saucer idea. And and Gene was sort of like, no, let's not do a saucer. And his his original this is about as as detailed as as Gene got apparently. It was, you know, no rocket, no flames, no smoke. And it was it was a lot of, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. Mm. So and talking with uh, another designer who worked on the animated series, that seems to be sort of his M.O. It was like very little information up front. Just bring me stuff and I'll tell you when it's right. Right. Um, so <laughs> it's
2: what people it's always say about, about art, isn't it?
1: You know, I, uh,
2: <laughs> I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. It's that kind of, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, but those people it, aren't I'm good, good at, art directors. Yeah. That's no. the problem. <laughs> <Like> you, you, <laughs> yeah. A good creative director and art director will will have that opinion, but be able to express roughly what they're looking for. They think you know. Sure. Sometimes yeah, you yeah. can't. I understand that, but yeah. it seems like maybe he might not have been the best person to always be giving direction right. to the designers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, this is in the very very early stages. There, there was no no design team or anything at this point. It was Gene and and Matt Jeffries talking, mm-hmm. um, but. so he came back with sort of a saucer like thing they changed that the next step is what eventually becomes the Daedalus class ship is the sphere instead of the saucer in the front Mm -hmm, mm. and much more cylindrical like you know kind of a a, a cylinder body for the secondary hull and then sort of the nacelles off of it and possibly in between those steps was the ring ship that you end up seeing in the motion picture which is sort of like two big rings in the, the center um column so it's like they did play with those shapes which i think are a lot more interesting and probably more realistically space-based yeah but i think it was just there was a a a lack of beauty maybe was was you know or they're not sort of heroic in the the, same way you know what i mean it's that kind of yeah um, it was lacking a screen presence yeah uh, yeah and character i suppose yeah Mm. well and and the ship became as much of a character as as spock or kirk or anyone Mm. um and so he basically took that uh, the dataless um, sphere and squished it down, mm-hmm. and then he goes. It was funny because at the end we ended up with a saucer on the ship anyway. <laughs> yeah, even though yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't just the saucer, but it was like you know you have a saucer, and it's weird when you think about it. If you described that to somebody, it does not sound like it would come together well. Mm-hmm. Like you've got mm-hmm. a cylinder with two things sticking off of it that look like rockets off the back, and then a shit uh, like a. a a saucer in the front of the ship, and you're just like that doesn't sound good. And you look at it, and it, it, it the balance works out, and it, it, it looks pretty decent. Mm. You mm. know, it, it's one of those things that it actually has really good angles from pretty much however you look at it. And is which even isn't easy.
2: Is even. um malleable to an extent insofar as I mean you you know, you said it's a character throughout the whole of Star Trek and you Mm -hmm. know know, it it is in a sense because that ship design I mean however radically certain ships have tried to depart from it that is the basic kind of underlying ship design of all the Federation starships pretty much that we've seen and and, you know uh, sometimes there'll be one (laughs) exactly yeah 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 I mean sometimes there'll be one that that pushes it a bit that breaks some of those rules apparently Gene Roddenberry had certain rules about you know, the two nacelles had to be able to see each other, and there had to be, uh, you know, a certain amount of mm-hmm. space here and so on. Which um, I'm sure the defiant, for example, would have broken would have broken his rules. Yeah, yeah. but broadly speaking, you can you can recognise you, you know you recognise a Federation starship yes. immediately. It's got that kind yep. of that shape to it and that kind of feel to it, mm-hmm. which is almost like a character kind of uh, working all the way through. And and um, yeah, I guess and did look different to to anything that people had seen at the time i read that um one of the reasons for the nacelles was actually a kind of quite practical idea that um because the engines would have to be the, the sort of force of the engines would have to be so powerful uh in order to you know go faster than the speed of light and so on the idea was to kind of separate them away from the hull of the ship that that you wouldn't want them to be in the way that sort of the Defiant is they're kind of stuck on the side that they would sort right. of be pushed away i don't know i suppose almost because they're, they're overheating so much or because they're kind of you know some some sort of a bit like some sort of rocket-like idea that you're kind of keeping
1: them slightly at arm's length and i'd imagine it has something to do with maybe radiation as well or right something, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Know, just yeah. whatever field it's generating you know some sort it's of it, like the work field might have electromagnetic yeah exactly i mean mm-hmm. i it's funny because it's you know a couple hundred feet away it's not really that far away yeah yeah <laughs> it's you know it's far enough and it's also if something happens to them they can be jettisoned right yeah 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 you can just basically pop the nacelle off and and you know and and you know we talked about um i can't remember which podcast we were talking about but but doing saucer separation mm. um they you never saw it but they did mention in the uh, original series that it was possible for that to happen. It wasn't like in t n g where the, then the saucer could fly back in and just stick back on the ship and fly away. They would have to it would have to go to space dock and they would have to like physically reattach it but during i believe it was the apple he mentions to uh you know the crew that it's like if something happens, separate the drive system or uh, section and 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 get the saucer away
2: and the weird thing is i sort of feel like it's only when you see you know it's only when you get to like encounter at far point and they do separate the saucer that you actually or for me anyway that you realize that it's a flying saucer do you know what i mean because i think that yeah. kind of that design it feels so connected and so kind of smooth and and so much like it's it's part of a whole that until you actually see it separate and i always feel it looks really weird i mean especially like the star drive section without the saucer looks suddenly looks very ugly and kind of yeah uh wrong do you know what i mean and it's mm-hmm. uh, i mean so it it so it, it has incorporated that kind of flying saucer element which of course is so you know associated with you lose space the balance and so on when you do that
1: exactly you yeah. don't have yeah. there's like all this back weight and then it's just sort of like this tiny little front mm-hmm.
2: so mm-hmm.
1: Well, let's, which is funny because it's space and it doesn't matter, but <laughs> well, that's
2: the thing, isn't it? And that's, I suppose that's the kind of contradiction. And, and obviously, you know, you do get, say when you get to the Borg cube or something like that, you get a kind of mm-hmm. a real recognition that this is space and aerodynamics are totally irrelevant, but at the same time for humans, for Starfleet, for this kind of, and, and maybe it is partly because it's a kind of military organization, you know, whether it's a, a sort of naval organization or kind of air force organization or however you see that, um, You you know, there is a lot of emphasis on people as pilots, on the the skill of the pilot and so on. So I think that all kind of ties into it. Tony and I have talked about that before in relation to Gene Roddenberry's experience in the Second World War. But definitely there's that kind of aeronautical feel on the outside. Um, Just thinking about the inside of the ship as well. I mean, one of the things that really distinguished the original series i think at the time was the use of color and it's interesting going back to the cage uh the cage was much more muted but then when they came around to mm-hmm. to kind of developing the original series and getting you know getting into um i think where no man has gone before is, is a bit more colorful but then particularly after that once you get into the kind of regular run of the series yeah. you you get you know not just in the costuming but also in the design of the sets and so on i think they they
1: repainted the bridge right to kind of uh, bring a lot more color into it. I'm literally looking at a picture of that as you said that was kind of funny, and I really like the original bridge in mm-hmm. the pilot because, like you said, it has the more muted tones, which doesn't become as dated as quickly. Mm-hmm. It feels more, more, you know, pseudo military slash. It just feels more functional and, and less. Um, it, it, Civilian, I guess, would be the word I'm looking for. Right. Um and it also has different uh, monitors and and more going on than the more streamlined final version. It, it has the gooseneck lamps on it too, which are a little goofy <laughs> yeah. looking. Yeah. Uh you know, take care take those out. And like I, I think there could have been you know, we obviously there's this the whole idea that, you know, color television was just coming out, so we want to make everything colorful. Mm. Um, I honestly don't know how much of that really played a role. I mean, it kind of became the story, but I think it became the story after they saw that NBC had high-rated shows that were in color, and then they started like, oh, we'll just take our shows and we'll use that to promote color, not necessarily sell televisions, but then RCA went and made an ad with Star Trek that said, oh, look at this fantastic show in color. So I, I don't know how much feedback from the network that they got to make the show to make it of their own accord yeah Yeah. but
2: they did they did find though that the show rated better in households that had color tv didn't they i think so so people who had color tvs were more i mean i suppose they didn't have that much choice of what to watch it's kind of like if you've got a i don't know a 3d (laughs) tv you're going to go and buy avatar even if you know you don't mm-hmm. particularly love the film or you, you know or whatever i mean there's an element of kind no of, I'm, I'm not going you know, to do that <laughs>
1: <We'll skip the laughs> or maybe you're not. thank
2: you <laughs> no me too me too but i mean you know there's an element of like the 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 drama and the technology Sorry, kind of uh you know syncing up in some way and i mean avatar is a good example i think people you know i mean i, remember, I saw that film at the cinema i was completely blown away by it but since then i've had no desire to go i, I I have no interest in watching the next six or seven Avatar movies. No one
1: does. They're they're building a, an Avatar land that makes no sense. It's crazy. Sorry, crazy. Is, but... If you if you've seen my Facebook page, that's a personal thing. It's like, and I know Neville Page, the guy who designed like all the creatures, and right. I, I, he is equally like know. Uh, it's like no one's no one's clamoring for another Avatar. So,
2: but but if you can get that experience of that kind of wow yes. factor that you got when you saw Avatar each time, I, mean, right. I don't know how, th- how they can possibly do that every time. But I suppose that then maybe there is Polygrams. something to that. And yeah, yeah, and maybe that what you know was a big part of the original series for the people who did have color TVs was yes. there'd been nothing like this before. You know, it is right. very bright. And I think also the the fact that it did well later on in syndication, the fact that it's it's stayed so iconic is maybe... There is something a bit kind of sort of kitsch about it. There is something a bit over the top mm-hmm. about the design. Um, yeah. You know, whether that's the the bright colours or the lighting. I mean, the lighting design of the original series is completely bonkers. But w- one of the things I was reading was actually one reason for that was because they found it was cheaper to, rather than repaint walls Mm -hmm. when they were building different sets basically just use the same walls and then light them with different colors so the lighting becomes therefore i suppose sort of richer more it's very theatrical i guess it's the kind of lighting that you would see on a theater stage that is not
1: naturalistic there's very much the idea of theater and and people you know have have made the comparison that like you know you arrive on the stage which is the transporter pad and you know you've got it, it all feels very much like a a you know well shakespeare is of course obviously spread mm. throughout the show but it it has that very you know live theater kind of feel to it at times and and you look at the planets and they do the same thing with the sky and and yeah. you know they yeah, yeah. they change the color there and throw a couple different rocks on and you know it's still the still the same planet so yeah i i think that's a really good good uh description
2: i, I mean they did make the most i think in terms of say the costume design and so on is very colorful as well cuz i mean you, Aaron, R you're our expert on the animated series. In the animated series there's a lot of kind of controversy about was one of the designers colour blind? Why have we got pink tribbles? Why have we got these kind of wacky colour schemes? But we answered that question. in, the, in <laughs> But actually in the original series as well, you know, if you look at, say, the Romulans in Balance of Terror, they've got these bright purple sashes. You know, there's there's kind of wild colour going on that is is really uh, is not what you'd yeah. expect in that kind of military environment. It's 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 definitely it stands out.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um it was also the sixties. I mean that that you, you kind of have to look at the greater time period. It's like mm. I I would be really interested to see in some sort of parallel universe what Star Trek Two or Star Trek Phase Two, which we call it now, would have been like, uh, you know, a late nineteen seventies Star Trek. Mm. I mean that could have been could have looked like Logan's Run television show or Space 1999 which was very muted, you know, there's like, I I really would have been curious to see how that decade influenced the look, you know, because we get to the motion picture and you kind of get a little bit of that, but I feel like it was sort of existed in its own bubble in some ways because it was very influenced by the director and Mm. and 2001. And it was, it was very much a science fiction film. And I think it wasn't, as heavily influenced by the 1970s as a television show would have been
2: right right you mean because it was playing into this kind of cinematic idea of the future i mean it's still 70s looking
1: if you look at the clothing and and, and parts but I, I think we would have just you know if we saw a wreck deck that was not you know just Decker and Ilya sitting there playing a shuffleboard game or something that could have been really interesting. Like mm. it, they, some of the sketches showed like crazy colors and, and weird, you know, like biomorphic plants and stuff like that. So mm. it, I, I and, you know, it would have been a television scale too. So they would have had to been more, yeah. um, just kind of inventive about what, what, they were going to do with the money that they had
2: there's a sense of scale to it as well i mean if you think about the rec room and so on in the in the motion picture you know just like the height of the ceilings it's you get much more of a sense of this is a big ship this is kind of there's this kind of grandeur about it that ties in with the it's not just the grandeur of space it's also the grandeur of the ship itself and it's much more comfortable feeling and much more kind of you know, the fact that they are going around basically in pyjamas, it kind of it makes it feel like it's a sort of, uh, not a cosy environment, but a sort of, in a sort of sterile, but, you know, pleasant, it's like a sort of pleasant hospital or something. Do you know what I mean?
1: Like a very... It's funny you mentioned the pyjamas because Robert Wise said the first thing he changed when he came to that movie was how the Star Trek uniforms looked because he didn't want it to look like the TV show because it mm. looked like they were wearing pyjamas. <laughs> So <laughs> he traded amazing. one type of pajamas, one for kind of pajamas, pajamas for another. Yeah,
2: I don't feel they yeah. look like. I also I think they look a bit more like kind of dentists. I mean, particularly McCoy obviously has that kind of oh, shiny yeah.
1: blue. he really yeah, looks yeah, like yeah. a dentist uniform. But um, it just felt like t-shirt and pants. I mean, it didn't, yeah. You know, I mean, they weren't t-shirts, but I mean, it had that sort of like more casual. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's I know they always you know joke about in TNG like they look like bellboys or something like that. You know, which I guess that does look more like a bellboy outfit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah or even in the yeah. the, the, the uh, 80s movies. But, uh, no, I, I don't think that... It, I, I always liked the Admiral's uniform. I thought that was, in the motion picture, one of my favorite just overall mm. uniforms in all of Star Trek, just because it it just had a kind of a slimming effect on the side. It just was tailored really nicely. The white worked really well with the, the darker kind of... It looks gray on screen, but it's sort of a greenish gray. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I... I I really liked the scale in the motion picture and I felt like the motion picture was the first time when I saw it that I felt I knew what the ship was supposed to be sized, how it was supposed to be sized. Right. You know, but when yeah. you watch the TV show, it just, you don't get a sense of scale. No. I mean, you kind of can if you think, okay, the shuttle bay, that's the shuttle, the shuttle fits in here. But even that isn't 100% correct. It was never really scaled properly mm. sometimes. So you have kind of the the way the Galileo was drawn and then how it was actually built scale wise is not exactly the same. So if you look at the, the, a lot of the plans and drawings, the, the measurements don't quite match what happens on screen. So, right. I mean, now we, you know, this has been 50 years. Everybody has like narrowed that thing down to within the millimeter, except nobody really knows where the engine room is, which is funny. Oh, really? It's oh, been mentioned. God. Yeah. The, uh, yards, um, did a show uh, a little while ago where they talked about where is the engine room? Mm -hmm. Because you hear people mention that it's uh, in the main saucer section at the, at at the back of the, of the saucer towards the, I guess where, you know, where Kirk's like that, that observation lounge was in the motion picture kind of back that way. I'm just like, that doesn't sound right. And you know, Andrew Probert put it, in the engineering section, you know, because yeah, engineering yeah. would make sense to have engineering there, at the, the zenith of where the two struts come together. And, and actually, one right. strut on the left goes into the other side, and they sort of, like, cross where they connect or mm-hmm. something. But that seems to make the most sense, like, right behind the shuttle bay. Yeah. Although, I don't know if you'd want your engine room by the shuttle bay either. So there's there's a lot of <laughs> weird places to... But, but, you know, there might be... There's a secondary engineering. It's just... But they've and mentioned I'm, it on the show... In more than one place, so there's no real canon explanation for where it is, which is sort of an interesting for a group of people when they put it together who are very specific. I mean, compared to a lot of science fiction shows from that era, there's a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even even if it does seem a little silly now, and we always wonder why, well, why didn't they keep track of this? It's like I. Doubt that the people from Lost in Space put this much thought into the Jupiter Two, you know, or or any other uh, science. Maybe the um, what was the submarine show from the sixties, the uh, Fantastic Voyage, right? You know, they th- that that sub might have actually had blueprints and stuff, but I, I think that they they did a lot for what
2: the time period was. So then I guess the next real big design change, in the sense, came with the Wrath of Khan. And I think a lot of that came from Nick Meyer. He had um, quite strong feelings, really, about the look of the motion picture. Um, If you read his book, which, as I've said many times on this podcast, I highly recommend. It's a very interesting, very entertaining book. He talks quite a bit about this. And he he says, basically, he he doesn't want to be one of those people kind of knocking the motion picture, because actually he thought it was a good film. But he... Very much felt he wanted to rebel against it. He kind of wanted to do everything differently, um, and the design was a big element of that. He he says this is a quote. He says, "I rebelled against the look of Wise's film. For all I know, life aboard spaceships in the future will look bland and comfortable, but in my opinion, it didn't look interesting." Um, and he describes the he says the first Star Trek movie dealt in soft pastels. Um, Doubtless, the notion was that they, the, the spaceships of the future would be user-friendly environments where people could mo- walk around in modified tracksuits. But in my opinion, however accurate such prognostications were, the look was visually unexciting. I wanted something gritty, the look of a destroyer or even a submarine. And he talks about going, he, he goes on a, a tour of the set because they're reusing a lot of the old sets and he said he wanted some of these kind of blinking flashing lights um, and someone said to him, okay that's fine we can do that but you've just spent $50,000 of your budget. Uh, and basically he realised that, um, that there were limitations to how much he could change things but within that, he, he he seemed to manage to change a lot. Thankfully. He, yeah, I know. well, I don't know. He, he, he said, ideally, he'd like to sort of build the Enterprise from scratch, and it would have looked more like the Nostromo in Alien, like really kind of grungy and gritty and dark and so on, which would have been yeah, totally different. that's though, what but.
1: you think of when you think of Star Trek. is grungy and gritty, and I'm sorry, but he was just wrong. Well, I know that everybody that. falls on their knees and loves, you know, the Wrath of Khan and stuff. It's like, he had an exit sign in one of the scenes from like, the... 20th century. Uh, there was at one point like a digital clock. It was just and, mm-hmm. which one is a nightmare for editing because the clock has to be the same and it, like it can't just jump around. And mm-hmm. uh, anyway. no, I I you know on a fundamental level disagree with his design sense. It was interesting. I and this is this happened when I first saw the movie because we went and saw it and i was like what the hell happened to the uniforms i mean they didn't have to be as bland as they were in the motion picture but they turned into old people sweaters
2: <laughs> i was, love those was, uniforms i can't believe you don't like them. you don't like the monster kid who walked out and
1: said mom dad it's like are they wearing sweaters because they're old now <laughs> <laughs> well, it's are. interesting because if you look at the actors for the the age that they were for the average, you know, summer blockbusters of the cast of of Star Trek was older and then continued to get older, mm. but they did. They looked like they were wearing space sweaters or cargans right. or. Oh i whatever I it love those uniforms
2: in. I mean, I know Ugh. Nick Nick Meyer said he was going for the sort of nautical feel, and I guess you get that with the kind of breast you know the breast that rips open and the fact that they are quite they look very warm compared to you, you, you know compared warm, to the previous. <laughs>
1: Well, I know you it's think space is cold, but not like in sweating. The ship, yeah. But then we get the
2: same thing, <laughs> don't we? Later with the Deep Space Nine, with the first contact uniforms, they they must be boiling. They've got about six layers on underneath that. You know, they're ripping them off layer <laughs> after, those layer, after layer after layer after layer. Least.
1: They do, yeah. They, they know, don't. They true. don't look. They're not as bulky in the same way, cumbersome and bulky. Yeah, they. Yeah. I felt like they sort of had the same problem that the like TNG Romulan uniforms had that look. Right, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. But the huge shoulder pads and everything look like they're wearing, you know, fabric samples or something like that. And yeah. I don't know. I just, I felt that it went into this weird submarine design. It's like, if you take the original series, you go to the motion picture, and then you go to the next generation that's a logical design progression. That's
2: Gene Roddenberry design, isn't it? That's the kind of evolved humanity of the future design. And and the films
1: kind of get sidetracked, I but guess. the films in between don't visually match. Mm. It, it's interesting how mm. people say, oh, Discovery is so, you know, tonally different and stuff like that. I'm sorry. You know, the Wrath of Khan through First Contact is visually... Well, maybe First Contact is starting to... Not First Contact, sorry. Um, Undiscovered Country it's right like, that's starting to kind of maybe get there, but still the uniforms, what they did with the ships, all this stuff it just it it did not follow the progression that it seemed like would lead you to the next generation mm. like I'm curious to see where in between the you know the space sweaters and the bellboy uniforms <laughs> like where what what in between step besides that one random cadet uniform we'll see from time to time, which sort of looks like yeah. Yeah, sort yeah. of an in-between stage, but it 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 feels like whatever leap was made between the end of TAS and the beginning of the motion picture, that leap was made somewhere between, before at the end of whatever the design style is for the movies mm. and the beginning of the next generation.
2: Yeah. But it's yeah, a, yeah. a leap we never see. But we see Picard in the in the you know, in Jack Crusher, don't we? In basically the the movie, you know, in the Monster Maroon uniforms, right. but without the collar, I think. So it's kind of slightly yeah. modified. It's but sort of like they've modified it, yeah, exactly. But it's basically the same thing. Well, it's interesting. One of the things I mean, talking about Nick Meyer when I because I, I was I was looking at some uh, you know pictures from some of the movies, and one of the things I noticed, which I'd never really picked up on before, is there's this kind of because they're running at the same time. The later movies are running at the same time. Well, the last two movies anyway, are running at the same time as Next Gen. Uh, there's this kind of. Back Back and forth, so you get Nick Meyer brings in this much uh, sort of grittier look, a, a lot more metallic, and so on. Then you get with Next Gen, you get this carpeted bridge. Star Trek Five, you get a carpet on the bridge of the Enterprise A, and then Star Trek Six, Nick Meyer obviously rips it out again, and you get this kind of metal deck plating. So there's this real kind of tug of war. You
1: can, I think, see the. You can see like the glue from the carpet, really, right? In, in, in the yeah, <laughs> so I, I in think def, that's what they, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely there's a kind of battle going on there, and I suppose really yep. Nick Meyer's approach to Star Trek is is almost the opposite of the next gen approach to Star Trek. It's like they they couldn't be more at variance. That kind of battle between yeah. these kind of lofty ideals on the one hand, and you know the Kirk who's expressing his kind of racist attitudes or his kind of you, do you know what I mean? There's so there's a connection between design and also. The, the way that he's treating the characters. And Nick Meyer, you know, very much treats them as flawed people. Uh, he doesn't think that, that just because they're the heroes that they have to always behave impeccably. You know, it's, it's uh, and it's the same kind of thing that we hear at the moment about Discovery. You know, are they going to stick to these kind of lofty ideals or are they going to kind of break the mould? Which of the rules of the Roddenberry box are going to be, you know, adhered to or broken? And, and I suppose the design
1: gives you kind of clues into that. Well, it, it's interesting how everybody has their own vision of what Star Trek is. And then a lot of those people, I think sometimes compared to from what I've seen with other franchises, a lot of those people who were fans or really enjoy it, then later become people who work on the show. Mm. And so they bring their own conception of what they want Star Trek to be. You know, I, I don't think Nick Myers is one of those people. I think he didn't no, sure. have any <laughs> any <laughs> knowledge about Star Trek yeah. before.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think he thought it was a bit of an ordeal having to sit through some old episodes as, as research
1: for the Rother- Oh, Go yeah. On, you know, yeah. Kind of like- but you get a lot of people, at least from the design perspective, that are are fans. I and bet, so yeah. then they take their, like, it, it, like you're saying with Discovery, right mm-hmm. now we have John Eaves and Scott Snyder who have been working on the Discovery mm-hmm. and... They used a reference, which I believe this is probably Brian Fuller's doing to start with, uh, referencing going back to a design that was used for or was conceived for Planet of the Titans, which was a movie that was never made from started like in 1975 and got canned about July of 77, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And it was Ken Adam from uh, James Bond of fame. And uh, Ralph McQuarrie from Star Wars Who put together this design And it was for a reimagined movie version of the Enterprise That was a, a very triangular base Big, huge like flight deck um, in the back uh, Saucer section And it's interesting because it really depends on which version you see Because there were a lot of sketches that were all roughly the same but you have varying heights of the the nacelles where people are like oh this breaks the rule and like it does but turn the page and see the other design that doesn't break the rule you know so Mm -hmm. it was it never got to the point where they did anything but a paper model Mm. so it's interesting because it was it was like a starting point so it wasn't they didn't literally copy the design and I know a lot of people are like oh they're using this failed design the design wasn't failed the movie just was shelved before Mm. that even got Past that stage and then when they went to go move into television for star trek phase two matt jeffries just happened to be working right above gene roddenberry on little house on the prairie and he basically sort of got him to come on in a in a freelance basis because he couldn't leave his little house on the prairie job mm. to sort of recapture like well if we're going back to tv we might as well take the original design mm-hmm. and at that point Ralph McQuarrie had moved on to *Battlestar Galactica* and *Empire Strikes Back*, mm. so he wasn't available. So, the idea that this design was somehow failed and killed, and it was—that's a little bit of an exaggeration. It's interesting though, because it, it is quite a sort of Star Warsy design. I mean, it does—it does
2: have that kind yeah. of echo of the Star Destroyers. It's got that real triangular shape to it. It's got that kind of hulking quality and you know some of that we we see a little bit in the Discovery, some of it maybe less so but it it is different I suppose to, you know, when you're talking about mm-hmm. this kind of this line of ships that goes all the way through Star Trek, there is something about it that it does slightly, it maybe it doesn't break the mould but it certainly pushes that, but you can it, see it's a yeah. different artistic influence coming into it it's
1: a different vision in a sense of of what that might if be. If you look at the Discovery, though, and the Enterprise-D, mm. I feel like those have bits and pieces more in common than perhaps the Enterprise-D and the original series. Right. Because it has a more sort of triangular, flatter, engineering hull thing, you know, with the net connected and That's everything true. like that. Yeah. And the Discovery yeah. has the same, same sort of look, and even more so now. And John Eves has sort of put his personal touch on it, which is... Basically, having punch outs through the hull—that's mm-hmm. where things yeah. get really different. Yeah. You don't see that except for in pretty much anything that he's designed. There's right. the uh, in the Kelvin timeline. I think there's the Vengeance, and I right. don't know if John actually had any direct influence on that. But if you look at a lot of his kind of personal sketches and stuff for for Star Trek, the they have different pieces and mm. you know, it, it could be that it does something really cool. Like maybe that helps like the inner ring separate or something like that. Mm. Or cause I know that the um, Nick Myers actually put out, well, Nick Myers dog <laughs> on Twitter, uh, put out a question ask, <laughs> Yeah. Asking, uh, you know, how long would a saucer separation take in the original series timeline? And that mm-hmm. was months ago. So mm. we're all like, it, it was funny how many people that I know and I jumped on that within, like, you know. And we all guesstimated it within a few seconds of the same same time. Oh, so wow. <laughs> I felt good about that. I was like, okay. Mm. But that leads us to believe that possibly that they're going to be doing something, you know, with a with saucer. Something somewhere. interesting. That doesn't mean yeah, that yeah. it's going to be discovery. But, yeah. you know. So, design-wise, it does bend the mold i don't think it breaks the mold if no. i looked at that ship i would say oh it's from star trek sure. if you look at the shenzhou it looks like it's from star trek it looks like it's more nx era but it, yeah you
2: know. to me the shenzhou looks it's it, it's i think maybe what it is about the discovery and i i, I don't I, I don't hate the discovery design the way that some people do but i the, the yeah. thing that i get that i do slightly feel about the Ralph MacQuarie as well is that it feels quite flat compared to a lot of them. Do you know what I mean? There isn't that kind yeah. of empty space around, you know, mm-hmm. between the nacelles and the hull and so on. It so, it, and it it maybe means it does feel less sort of aerodynamic because you, it, it, I mean, it, it works in space obviously, but it it doesn't have that <laughs> kind of uh, bird-like wingspan kind of. Do you know what I mean? There's I, something about it. It, yeah, it has no, a again. slightly more solid. Feel to, it feels heavier somehow. Do you, does that I make sense? I still
1: feel like we have not seen the final final version because sure. even in that last trailer, it it looked really plasticky. And I can't mm-hmm. imagine compared to some of the other like if you look at the, that first shot when the ship is come the Shenzhou is coming up out of the the cloud bank it, it, into space, and you see like the delta on the planet underneath it. Mm. I I that looks visually like it's it's rendered so much better than that really quick. Thing going like the discovery going to warp, which looked super flat. It did not look. I don't know. It just it was the angle or something like that. And I know I've I've played around with drawing it quite a bit, Mm. and it you know it's been changing over time. But I think there are quite a few really nice angles, and there are a few just. Like, the top down, it just, that makes it look really flat. It looks like a circle with a triangle. It looks like, you know, the idix symbol, as yeah. as people have said.
2: Yeah, I so. think you were one of the people who, who managed to turn a lot of people's opinions on it around, in a way, because of a lot of the artwork that you've been putting out there, that made people, after that first trailer, sort of see the beauty in that design a bit more, somehow, that maybe they hadn't, it, because it had kind of freaked them out in various ways, it wasn't what they were expecting. Yeah. Whereas, as you say, like, by finding good angles for it and very... You, you know finding ways of showing that ship that and the fact is all the ship. i mean like voyager for example i think looks great from
1: some mm-hmm. angles and looks terrible from others and the nacelles look a little too short yeah yeah you know it's it's interesting i never thought about that until back when um char and tristan were hosting to the journey mm. they were doing an episode of what would voyager be like if it was in the kelvin universe and so right. they had me draw a kelvin yeah yeah Voyager and I made the you know the beefy nacelles and stuff like that and it was just like this actually looks pretty decent on this ship it was like right. it was it felt like it balanced something out that might have not been balanced but yeah. that was actually you know that again is a a, a direction from the studios because there were yeah. the, it did not look like that originally they had longer nacelles or other things basically Rick Sternbach was given the the edict to make essentially a Lexus. It's like make a sexy car ship. Yeah. And so it, it became much more compact, more, you know, streamlined. Um, I always thought it looked like a, a, Kind of like a one of those spoons that you get inside of uh, ice cream or yogurt that comes yeah. with it already. It's like the it's got like a it's a space spoon, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, with, with little nacelles on the back. And the idea that the they wanted something that sort of moved back and forth. And he mm. said, you know, the the in universe kind of BS reason was that um, they changed the shape of the warp field so it didn't damage uh, yeah. subspace yeah. for that one episode from TNG that everybody ignored after they. They did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he goes, it was done. We never brought up why it does it. It just does it on the show, and uh, there was no explanation whatsoever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. But... Uh, no, and it's it's interesting. If you look at the bridge of Voyager, and you go back to that very first pilot of um, Star Trek, mm-hmm. The Cage, it, it has some similar color cues and stuff. It feels less dated than the bridge of the enterprise from tng right yeah
2: well let's talk a little bit about the the next gen enterprise because that i suppose okay. was the big well like you say, that there, there was kind of a continuity from the motion picture and i know andrew probert uh had been had been carried on for the motion mm-hmm. picture and then the other big character who comes in at that point for pretty much all of Star Trek leading on from that period is Herman Zimmerman. Um, and between them, they were kind of responsible for the look, I think, of the of the Enterprise D. He he came and went, I think, a lot. But he was, I think, for each of the successes, well, except for Voyager, actually, he was sort of there at the beginning of Next Gen, DS9 and even Enterprise. If you look at some of those um, early sketches of the Enterprise D, it's kind of interesting because obviously we think of it as, compared to the original Enterprise, it's very... Uh, you know, it's bigger, it's more luxurious, they've got, you know, an arboretum, they've got, it's, it's, it's got this quite sort of comfortable feel. But some of the original sketches went even further because they wanted to get away from this idea of the bridge as this kind of military command centre. And there are sketches where, yes. you know, there's, there's kind of benches where people can just sit and kind of look, kind of look out the window almost. There's, yeah. there's like a spiral staircase going up to a balcony. And so it's this weird idea of kind of combining the... Military side with this, I suppose, with this ship that has families on board and that has all of that. And it's funny because then you know when you get to the actual show although the bridge design is very you know it's in keeping with that it is you know, it's very luxurious leather armchairs and so on but at the same time there's this very much this feel of like you don't come to the bridge unless you're asked to come to the bridge do you know what i mean and if someone comes in and and sits in the captain's chair or you know does there, there are these yeah. there's this real kind of uh, partly because picard is quite a stickler and quite a sort of traditional right. authoritarian captain in a sense there's this kind of respect for it there are things that you do and don't do on that bridge, even though it seems quite kind of... Yes. The design is relaxed, but the the mood is, you know, is, is a bit more formal in some ways, at least when the captain's mm-hmm. around.
1: And it is kind of interesting. There are... It, compared to, like, say, the original series, it feels like there is less seating. And I know mm-hmm. some of that is because, like, the the chairs sort of push into the panels and the walls, so you can kind of pull them out, and they just sort of... Mm. That space becomes... But it it feels like... Like a couch and and two chairs, a big screen TV, and a lot of empty space to walk around in. Yeah, it's like I. It, sometimes it feels a little, and I. It might just be because I've seen the sets like mocked up in person, and right. then you see the t- where in television when you shoot, everything gets much smaller, and you have to mm-hmm. get people to sit really close together because it looks like they're massively far away. So it's it's the it's very interesting the malleability of the size of these these sets depending on how you experience them. Mm. So for the real actual people there sometimes they, they, I would imagine the the set would feel or the if this was a real bridge it would feel some kind of claustrophobic but then you see it on screen and it's very open and you know Like I said, you have to get the people to to physically be really close to each other so it doesn't look like they're half a room away. Yeah. Which is the way the camera shoots. It's just, it's. It's a really interesting effect.
2: It definitely feels very kind of comfortable. I mean, it it does look almost like Mm -hmm. I I think I've I've seen like a fan who built like a home cinema basically based Mm -hmm. on that bridge, and there is almost that element of it, you know, with the armchairs and this kind of quite, and also the you know in the first certainly the first season. I can't remember if they have them in the second season, but those the chairs at the front uh, which recline at this kind of almost impossible angle. It's like you're you're basically practically asleep. Yeah. Aaron is uh, is doing it <laughs> as we speak <laughs> on my screen and disappearing off the off the bottom of the screen.
1: Um, you, well, you know, it's or the battle great, bridge. It's kind of, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. It was just yeah. like, that was ridiculous. I'm like, are you just going to lay flat and look at the ceiling? You know, it's like, it's going <laughs> on? to slide down onto the floor somehow.
2: And then also, because you've got the kind of, instead of having steps going down, which you have on, on most of the other ships, you've got this ramp. So you've got this kind of this roundness, yeah. you've got this horseshoe shape, and then you've got this kind of ramp coming down. And you notice, that makes it obviously... Sense. When you go to yesterday's Enterprise and they have steps instead, you see what impact that has somehow. The, the, the fact yeah. that it's a ramp, it makes it feel more relaxed. It makes it feel more kind of pleasant and, uh, you know, sort of enjoyable space as opposed to somewhere a bit more edgy and a bit more kind of hard edged.
1: If you look at the uh, like the 3D virtual tour that somebody constructed of uh, the Enterprise, there actually is steps leading up to the bridge, though, from the, f- the level below it which is interesting. You can Ah, take a turbo lift, but you can also walk up these stairs that I guess where you enter like the the side of the screens.
2: Like opposite the ready room, do you mean? There's that door on the sort of bottom left that that, that seems to get used. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's like their their stair, which I guess I'm assuming Ah, is because if the turbo lift goes down, you can walk down the the stairs i don't know (laughs) it could be a lot of stairs i was thinking like you know you could just turn off the gravity and float where you wanted to go that would make (laughs) things a lot easier but they never did that because of budget obviously i always thought that was funny it was just like in disaster it's like everything on the ship is just completely shut down or going haywire but your gravity's fine okay (laughs) <laughs> that is the most that we have to say that the the gravity systems in Starfleet are the most reliable piece of technology they have
2: the other thing of course that people often say about the Enterprise D is that it feels uh, like a hotel or a kind of conference center or something and in fact dentist uh, office in space is what we right. call it in the 80s yeah 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 well Matt Jeffries himself who designed the original Enterprise he said uh, Gene Roddenberry asked him to to watch Next Gen and he watched it and he said they've taken the bridge of my ship and turned it into the lobby of the Hilton uh, and he never <laughs> watched it after that he oh. obviously was quite annoyed about it um and it's, there is that kind of feel of it feels very kind of corporate you know you've got mm-hmm. somewhere between a hotel and like a conference center you, you've got the carpet on the floor you've even got those kind of carpet panels on the walls yep. you've got these big like oak like the big conference tables uh mm-hmm. and, and even the the horseshoe of course you, you know has that kind of it's quite you know it's sort of
1: attractive all it's missing is a a conference phone in the center of the table and, yeah uh, it's yeah. like you know it's like are you there? Are you on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who do you have on your end? It's like, we've got Barb and we've got, you know, like whoever. Like, exactly. It just yeah. feels yeah, very yeah. much like every every meeting that I've ever gone to with a client.
2: Yeah. 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 And it's, and it's appropriate because I mean, you know, Next Gen yeah. is that, it is very much a show of the 80s and the kind of early 90s. It is, mm-hmm. you know, the conference is that, that's what they do. You know, when there's a crisis, yes. they all sit around the table and, and debate it together. And, that, you know, and in some ways we can kind of poke fun at that. But you know, on the other hand, that, that is a part of the charm of the show and it's part of the kind of ethos of the show that it is about a kind of collaborative... It's it's mm-hmm. not just the captain. It's not Captain Kirk saying, we're going to take, you know, risk is our business. I'm, I'm going to make... A, you, you, I, I know when he says that speech, he's saying he wants, he wants the support <laughs> of the other people, but that's kind right. of exceptional in a sense, whereas yeah. for Picard, it's totally normal that you would sit around and, and get everyone's opinion and then you'd make your decision. And that is kind of reflected in that kind of different approach to the design in a sense. Well, what's interesting
1: is that if TNG is the eighties Voyager is very much a dot com right company. It's mm. like, it's collaborative. It's, you know, nobody has the assigned roles that they normally would. It's like sort of breaking down. Like I, I look at how advertising used to be in the eighties. If, you, if you're going to use this as like from my, my viewpoint from mm-hmm. working in design and it's like, The TNG was McCann Erickson, big New York advertising agency. Voyager Mm -hmm. is the small company that I worked at in LA. That's sort of like every—it's a flat structure almost. I mean, yes, you still have a captain, but everybody seems to be very collaborative. There's, you know, the beginning of text messaging. If you notice that, sort of like on the bridge, they would send messages to each other, and there was much more. You know, like an open open communication and open plan hot desking kind of office.
2: Yeah, I always feel like that when Bellana comes up to the bridge and she has that that station over there. You kind of, I don't know. There, there, there's yeah, definitely, and 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 that sense. There's sort of. I mean, which is more like
1: the original series in a sense, with all these stations yeah. all the way around the outside. But you're oh, right; yeah. it feels more. If we're sort of talking social structure, you know, comparing like the if you know the Hiltony businessy, mm. you know, go 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 eighties yuppie sort of feel. This this definitely felt to me like a dot com era mm. Mm. sort of you know. Mm. And then you get into Enterprise and it's sort of like, who knows what that point, you know, it's like, it's, yeah. it's a throwback, well, very much but it's submarine feature. kind of design yeah. influence there. I mean, the other thing that obviously
2: was brought in with Next Gen, which had a huge influence on Star Trek going forward was the Kudograms and the kind of yes. touchscreen interface and that whole kind mm-hmm. of. You, you know, basically moving
1: away from these kind of glowing, you know, jelly buttons and and, and that kind and of interface. And that was for, uh, you know, like all things in Star Trek money. Mm. <laughs> it was that we just couldn't afford to have, like, all these different moving parts and switches. And so... Oh, they really? Basically, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it
2: feels quite futuristic. And I mean, the weird thing yeah. is now, you know... these if they days, had buttons, it would have been weird. On our phones, and our computers, you, you, you yep. know, it doesn't seem so far-fetched. But at the time touchscreen technology was I mean I remember my my aunt used to work for Microsoft and she designed uh, a a program for the National Gallery in London which was uh basically you know it's like you go to the museum and you it was a touchscreen program all about um their artworks essentially that they that they were designing and, and you know and then like the idea that you could press the screen and it would tell you something about this particular painting or whatever was completely revolutionary um so that seemed like something from the future at the
1: time. Well the two sizes of iPhones and iPads are the sizes of those the devices that they carried around with them basically. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And all these things you you, you know and partly that is Flappy because <laughs> that's the few, you know that if you grow up with the the part of of the future is a communicator that flips open, then that's what you want when you're, you know, if you're designing something that's futuristic and kind of aspirational right. and kind of, uh, high tech in that way, you're, you're, you're playing it's on Sort that. of a so self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. It is exactly. It's completely a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but those are Kudograms. I think they, they did a really good job of making it seem, and I know this is something that you've talked about in relation to discovery. And, and obviously we don't quite know where that, where that's going ultimately, but yeah. that it feels like a real, operating system. We might not know exactly how it works, but it, it's, it's kind of believable that, mm-hmm. you know, more frankly than all those glowing buttons are,
1: it's kind of believable that you could control the ship through this system right. if you just knew what to press. What well, to press it when. reconfigures. That's where it's like, it's not the yeah. same panel every time. Yeah. And it, it's, it's funny because I, I worked on Star Trek Online uh, helping to convert the desktop version to the console. Mm. And I talked with Mike Okuda, cuz I was just like, you know, it's like I'm I'm basically taking L cars and making it a functional user interface, which is funny mm-hmm. because it was never designed to be that. Mm-hmm. You know, he he said, you know, you make it look good for TV. Yeah. And if it could function, that's great. I'm like, so I said I, I jokingly said, I said, yeah, I curse your name every time I go to sleep and close my eyes and all I'm <laughs> seeing this the the L cars system because you know, it's like, I'm trying to make it actual function and like, okay, if I click this, then this will open up this panel and do that. And, and so it, the funny thing is that it, it has enough structure to it that we were able to make it a usable interface. Right, um, yeah. It would maybe not be the, you know, the end point if we were starting from scratch, mm. but it uh, it definitely works. And, you know, you had mentioned the discovery interface. We haven't seen much of it, but what we have seen... That's the one thing I'm disappointed, I guess I would say, in because it feels very much like tony Stark's heads up display with just mm. like every bit of information thrown at you with no discernible structure, and they even had when you see the photon torpedoes they're represented with bullets mm. like 21st century video game bullets not not mm. photon torpedo shaped bullets and just I don't understand. I'm hoping that that's like placeholder for the trailer, and that when we actually see the interface, it'll feel more Federation Star Trek. You know, because I think there is a way to to take the visuals from TOS, which are physical blinking, flashing buttons. Yeah. Take some of those color cues, take some of the structure of it, and then convert that into more of a, a an interface screen or something like that. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's Beyond the the possibility of of the designers' ability, so yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, which they started to do an enterprise, actually, didn't they? In terms of the colors and so on. I mean, I, and I know the Akudas were quite involved in that. It was very subtly kind of moving towards those those things yeah so yeah i guess you go from the the enterprise of the next generation the enterprise d and in a way there's quite a clear line going through into voyager and a lot of the sets from voyager were repurposed elements from that ship um, you know if the enterprise mm-hmm. d is is the hilton in space voyager is a kind of you know a reconfiguration of that in a sense all the federation starships to some degree are kind of hiltons in space but obviously with deep space nine you get a different opportunity because oh, this yeah. is an alien space station, so they're there's an opportunity to kind of show something about the character of of those people of the Cardassians who've who've created mm-hmm. this place, um, and it's quite interesting actually. I was rewatching Emissary this week, and Cisco actually makes a point about the design uh, when he first arrives in Ops. He he looks up to the to his office, and he says, "Oh, that yeah, the prefects put his office way up at the top, so everyone has to look up to him." So it kind of even in the you know in the design there, there's this idea of this very authoritarian regime. Mm-hmm almost like a kind of it's a bit like the panopticon you know the idea of this person in the position of authority where they can kind of look down and observe everyone else and, and in other ways i guess that space station it kind of echoes these you know the fact that the Cardassians are not they're not really into comfort they're not wearing pajamas they're yeah. wearing those you know awful <laughs> i mean their uniforms look incredibly uncomfortable they're so rigid and hard and kind of um and their, their design kind of reflects that we we get the in yeah. the episode uh melora um, with the woman in a wheelchair and she complains that all their doors have these huge lips on them that, you know, it's, it's the opposite of the kind of user-friendly, you know, Enterprise-D environment yeah. where everyone feels comfortable and, and could lounge around on a sofa. It's kind of inhospitable.
1: Well, even the doctor in, in Voyager, when he was gro- going through the Jefferies tubes, was trying to figure out where to get somewhere. He's like, okay, you turn left, you turn right, you do this. It's like, and then he's like, who designed this ship? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's like, yeah. so yeah. I think every, every design probably has that, that sort of thing, but, but definitely deep space nine, so many things. And, and there are all these, you know, emergency systems and systems to keep the, the uh, Bajoran slave workers in check. We had mm-hmm. recently watched, um, we pulled up uh civil defense. Oh yeah. Watch yeah. That, yeah. you know, That's and there was right. a so, lot of there was that sort of stuff too. It's like, there are all these redundant systems that probably you would have to take the whole system, uh, whole station apart to mm. even find all of these layers of paranoia, basically built into this mm. into the space station. Mm. So it's yeah, it's it's really interesting. They uh, was reading up on the like the first Cardassian ships and how they were sort of like Ankh shaped. They're very Egyptian, and it was sort of playing to the whole idea of the Cardassians as as the slaveholders to the Bajoran, mm. you know, basically it's so sort of the pharaohs and the slaves. Right. And they had yeah, a yeah. little bit of that influence in there and that sort of carries into the Cardassian design. And I feel like the Bajorans are sort of like a mirror of that on the other side. It's like mm. the rounded... It, 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 has, it, it feels like it has similar elements but just softened and, uh, you know, I, I don't... Don't think they ever had, you know, they obviously had interaction, in fact, that they were taken over. But mm-hmm. I don't know, before that there was the um, occupation, was there any kind of, you know, back and forth between these people? Mm-hmm. Because we had the, the episode with, the, what was it, the light ship, the the solar yeah. sail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we find out that ancient Bajorans actually did visit Cardassia, so they must be yeah, yeah. close true. by in, in in space sense. And that, le- so that lightship is kind very kind of airy, you know, it's basically got sails.
2: It's a kind yeah. of, it's the opposite of that kind of solid, beautiful. stodgy kind of really beautiful design. Yeah. yeah. And the Bajorans generally, you know, they wear, I mean, you think of the of the monks and so on, they wear these robes, you know, they're kind of like mm-hmm. Buddhist the style robes. on their
1: head. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and they have, you, you know, if you think about like, I mean, again, in Emissary, uh, I think you have Kayapaka's, uh monastery there's a lot of like pools of water Mm -hmm. there's kind of the design of the buildings is quite kind of round and and sort of soft in that way And, and there is definitely that sense although they've been hardened by occupation, and they have become these quite. Tu- I mean, you know, Kira is not a right. soft character at all. No, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, they're, they're sort of natural society, maybe you know, they're that kind of cliche of the the artists and the farmers and the kind of you, yeah, you agrarian I mean? it's that definitely kind of, feels exactly like, yeah. sort of um, pastoral yeah, kind of o- almost
1: like the people in insurrection. Do you know what I mean? That kind uh, of like- yeah, I, that way I kind of flashed to <laughs> that for a second. That yeah. we we always joke that the the insurrection, the the Baku village, is <laughs> mm-hmm. actually. Um, the outlet mall that is down in in Camarillo, (laughs) California because it has that sort of like I'm just waiting to see the sign for like Nike and Gap around the corner because it just has a very you know it was constructed for the and it was probably roughly in the same location it was out in that that area (laughs) Um, it's just it's yeah it felt very I, I commend them that they actually made this whole physical village but it did feel like it was just sort of plopped down whole cloth and sort of it feels it, it like feels, a set is the problem yeah. somehow it yeah. doesn't doesn't, it doesn't. it's a great set but it's anyway, not lived it's, in and that's why no, I, exactly yeah i yeah. think deep space nine managed to for a television show make it feel lived in it felt like it absolutely had yeah. existed and even when you look at like the bajoran stuff like when they go kira goes to her friend who was, became a farmer and they were trying to get mm. him off the land or whatever because they needed to Shaka, yeah yeah mm. um that looked lived in. I mean, that, that yeah. looked a hundred yeah, yeah. times more more real than, than the Baku village, which is kind of mm. odd. It's it's so. interesting. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, uh, j- maybe just moving on. So, so, we talked a bit about DS9 and Voyager. I guess in some ways we can take everything since then as variations on a theme, in the sense that everything that has been done since then has been a prequel, one way or another. It's this question of like of going mm-hmm. back to some point before the original series. You know, Enterprise was 100 years before the original series. The J.J. universe is, strictly speaking, like five years before the original series, isn't it, in terms <laughs> yeah, right. of their five-year mission is out of sync. Right. So, so although it, it, it's, it's really a reboot, but we can you can kind of just about turn that as a prequel. Um, and Discovery, obviously, is a prequel as well. You, you know, again, in right. quite close to that time period. But So with all these, uh, ver- you know, sort of iterations of Star Trek, there's this real question of, like, how do you deal with something as iconic as the original series in design and how do you um kind of reference that or h- how do you fit into that how do you how do you do something with with more up-to-date technology that somehow feels like it could be earlier in time
1: than that uh 50 year old well you know 40 40- or 50 year old show right well i i strictly speaking you probably can't i mean 100 mm-hmm. percent. there's there's no way, unless you do, you make the show as if it's a historical drama, and you are trying to recreate the the flashy, bleaky buttons, and the, you know, I think that if you wanted to, like, really replicate the communicator from the cage, which is that sort of lucite plastic that looks like it has maybe phone or radio pieces in it, mm-hmm. with the flip up thing, you could, you could reimagine that where the lucite plastic is sort of like um, the phones in The Expanse, which is mm-hmm. sort of this clear thing until you turn it on and then it's got the buttons on the screen and it, you know, you could, you could maybe take the things that are there and then put another layer on top of it that we just didn't see when we saw it originally or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, we never knew that this screen could turn on and do these things, but that would be a little silly. Um, so I think you just have to capture the, the energy and the, the feeling of that era and not necessarily the Mm -hmm. exact, design of it. I mean, I I think there is probably a a more medium ground between what they did with Discovery and the original series. I think you could make the ships look a bit more TOS era. You know, you could have Mm -hmm. rounded nacelles instead of the sort of whatever kind of squished rectangular sort of things that they're doing. It's not that it's bad. It is different. And I know that's going to, and it has obviously bothered a lot of people because you... You can't go into a forum online without hearing how you know yeah. uh, everything's been destroyed. But they also seem to be equating design, a change in design with that. Then that means also that the entirety of the show is going to be completely different. It's just going to be, you know, zap, mm-hmm. zap, shoot them. There's going to be no moral messages. The people who put the show together aren't fans, which is if you follow... The people who are putting Discovery together in any form or fashion, you know that these people are huge fans. I have a conversation with one of the yeah, writers. Yeah. I mentioned like an obscure thing from the animated series. He responded. We kept talking, and I realized only later that it was like I would have had to explain that to ninety nine percent of Star Trek fans. Yet this person knew that. It. So yeah. it's like they they know their stuff. They you know have been fans for a long time. Not everybody, obviously, but I, I think that. You kind of have to separate story from Mm. visuals sometimes, which is hard in Star Trek because sometimes the story is a little weak and you have just the, ooh, isn't that cool alien or whatever, Mm. you know. I I think it's difficult
2: also because, you know, all we've seen, you know, we we see trailers which are cut to emphasise action and so on. And also because people have been kind of burned by the JJ-verse films. I mean, I I know lots of people love the JJ-verse films, but um, whether you love them or hate them, they are a very action-packed, I was going to say, version of Star Trek, or or arguably not, you know, lots (laughs) of people say they're not Star Trek. But, you you, you know, they're, they're, they're very different beasts. And I suppose the anxiety was going into Discovery... Are they and this big anxiety? Is it Prime or is it or is it Kelvin? Y- you know, a lot of that is about how are we just going to get that kind of relentless pace of the JJ movies fifteen mm. times over on a kind of weekly basis, or are we going right. to get something that feels more like Star Trek? And I guess we just have to kind of trust that. Yeah, like you say, the the writers and so everyone involved seems to seems to be aware of those kind of issues and seems to know what they're doing. And and maybe what we get isn't what we are used to, but it's not going to be, it's, it's, it's not going to be into darkness. You know, touch
1: wood. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't think I I don't want it to be exactly like what I want. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's when you get exactly what you expect, then it's just, eh. I mean, I want something that's going to challenge my, my idea of what Star Trek is to a point you know i don't i don 't want Game of Thrones, but I also don 't want storytelling circa thousand nine hundred and eighty seven yeah you know i, yeah. I don 't need tng i don 't need the Orville, which is basically what I think the Orville mm-hmm. is shooting for replicating a thirty year old style of storytelling, which is fine, and that 's really cool but that 's not what Star trek should be Star trek i think for me feels like what Walt Disney wanted Disneyland to be, like, always developing, always changing. Mm. And I think Gene, you know, with all the different iterations that he was involved with, you could see it. You know, it had the core idea was still there, but TNG is very different than TOS. But, you know, so was Gene at that point. He had changed. And so... And mm. and obviously, once you reach the point of a human life span, if the show is going to continue, the show is going to change because the same people just can't be involved anymore because they're not around.
2: I mean, I think with Enterprise, just from a visual point of view, you know, they did find their own look and and maybe the way they did it, which surprised a lot of people at the time and people, you know, have taken a while to sort of adjust to is that rather than it seeming like a prequel to the original series, you know, a lot of people said this, it was, it was more like... Um, it was closer to our own time. So the universe, the the, mm-hmm. the, the costumes, uh, you, you know, they kind of look like NASA costumes. So the ship looked like something, you know, much more kind of uh, nuts and boltsy than than the kind of stuff we'd seen in the original series. I mean, by the time you get to the verse and the JJ films, you, you know, you've got this, That that's the, I mean, you know, people talk about not liking Discovery. That's the a- aesthetic that really doesn't work for me because it's this kind of souped up, ramped up, I mean, it fits those films, you know, this sort of version of that original series aesthetic, but just pushed to slightly ludicrous degrees. I think, like, the sense of scale, see, it doesn't feel like Star Trek to me, the sense of scale in those films. You know, you have those huge uh, engineering sets. You have those nacelles. I know some people love those nacelles. They're, <laughs> to me, they're a massive turnoff. They just look like, they look ridiculous. They look like... Well, engineering sort of,
1: is a brewery. A brewery yeah, a literally exactly. <laughs> path on the freeway when I'm driving to the doctor's office. So it's I like, think, I... I, I don't need that that was that that always bothered me but that's, yeah. that's but me. also it's just that design <laughs> i think it's apparently jj J. abrams said he
2: wanted the ship to look like a hot rod it, it's it is like someone painting a stripe down the side of their car and thinking it looks cool do you know what i mean it just it looks yeah. showy offy to me it doesn't look it's not graceful it's not you know there's a sophistication to that original matt jeffries design that i think is is lost once you start messing around with it in that way, because it's just, it. for me, it's sort of a tweak too far. It, it doesn't doesn't feel right. It'll be interesting kind of going into Discovery, because one of the things, I mean, just thinking about the design, we haven't seen very much of the interior design of the Federation ships, but we've seen, no. I guess, quite a bit about the with the Klingon ship. And obviously the Klingons have been quite controversial, the fact they look quite different. Um, but not only do they look different in terms of their costumes, in terms of their makeup and so on, but the design of that ship, from what we've seen, is very elaborate very ornate you know it mm-hmm. looks like a, a cathedral I, I was looking at mark worthington who's the designer i was having mm-hmm. a look at some of his previous work he did a lot of um american horror story which i haven't seen yep. and frankly have no intention of seeing <laughs> it looks <laughs> truly horrifying which i guess is the point but um some of the designs he did for that there was a season that was set in a hotel and, and the hotel yes, again is very kind of ornate very uh, mm-hmm. sort of quite sort of gothic and kind of Uh, huge vaulting ceilings and so on. You can definitely see, looking at some of his previous work, that element of grandeur and scale and I suppose stuff that you wouldn't traditionally be able to do on a TV budget.
1: Yeah, when you look at this, it is
2: pretty amazing. It it, looks cinematic. It looks grand. um, And that that will... It'll be interesting to see. As I say, we haven't seen much. How does that play into the interior of the the ships that we're going to be presumably spending the most time on, on the Federation ships? Because because again they've got that kind of prequel thing they can't make them you know if it was the enterprise j or whatever they could they could have a you know vast you, you know huge uh spaces everywhere right. um but given that it's a enterprise you know j around the same time too. as well yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> the enterprise
1: j is, is a weird yeah, that's... A, the Enterprise J was made, there. like, in a day, too. I think that... The, <laughs> you can tell that. Doug I mean, Drexler had mentioned... It's like, well, we need a ship. And he's like, here, it's a big yeah. ship. You know, it's like...
2: And then, of course, it ends up as a model. I mean, that's the weird thing. Yeah. It's like with the Eagle Moss models and so on. Something like that. I mean, I haven't actually... I've seen pictures of the model. I haven't... I, haven't, I don't yeah. have that model. But that seems like an example of something that... Um, I don't know whether that that's kind of taking... Bringing it into
1: reality slightly a bit too much by by physicalizing mm-hmm. it in that way. And it, yeah. it doesn't feel believable. There is you know there is so much this could be like a 17 part series you could go through each each show and talk about the the influence like something we didn't even we get to we had talked about um off air is that like the early enterprise designs i found some um manned orbiting laboratory which was this kind of top secret mm. us air mm. force um Space Station that was going to be built and then was declassified, and they had the viewers that Spock has the, the one where he puts his eyes into the you know so there are a lot of elements from you know actual uh, space technology that has worked its way in, in pretty much every iteration of Star Trek. If you look at the the uniforms for skylab there's a lot of the tones and colors that worked its way into some of the browner. Uniforms that were in the motion picture, so it was like they're, right right they they're just all these little touchstones and and it works the, you know the other way around you know we 've got you have influences like you said with the phone ipad there's just all these different things from Star Trek haircut styles i'm sure at some point you know like you 've got the the about, sideburns yeah, yeah. and you know. yeah. so yeah. it it all kind of folds in on itself, which is really interesting it 's like the how this this show that you know, if you really think about it, it's a TV show, and I know it's like it does mean a lot, and it does have a lot of <sighs> important issues, like, but it, is, yeah, no, but it's it's it's, it's not real, yeah. but no. it is because it the way yeah. it actually influences. There are people who would not be scientists and would not be doctors, and you know, or designers even. Like I, I credit seeing the Matt or the uh, the Ralph McQuarrie Ken Adam ship that has now become the Discovery for being in Los Angeles. If I had not seen the article in Starlog magazine where they interviewed Ralph McQuarrie and didn't realize that, oh, wow, if I grow up, I can actually, you know, be this thing. I can – ships don't just come out of nowhere, you know, obviously, like, but when you're seven or eight, you don't know that. Mm -hmm. It's like so wow this is a job I could do this and that sort of set me on my path to ending up where I'm at and that's one of the great things about Star Trek I
2: think is it does it does feel real compared to mm-hmm. a lot of science fiction it feels believable it feels like a world and because of the way it's designed it it is quite appealing I mean generally speaking even deep space 9 which you you know is is dark and and a bit you know Grungy and so on. Yeah. You know, once they but... and they have kind of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you know, it's it's kind of. You could imagine living there; it'd be kind of fun. Yeah, and you know, certainly like the Enterprise D, it'd be a very comfortable you know, it would be a nice hotel to, to stay at for a few weeks anyway. Um, and I think that's, that is I a think part it of is the charm hotel. is that, yeah. yeah
1: You can do is the the-, uh, the Airbnb or whatever that, you know,
2: just like. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, yeah, that'd be great. I mean,
2: you know, and I think that is part of the appeal of Star Trek is that it's, um, you know, it's, it's a future that, that we'd like to live in on a kind of, moral, ethical, do you know what I mean? Like it's its a good future for humanity yeah. in that sense, but it's also quite an appealing world in terms of design. It's quite, you, you know, it's, it'd be a nice place to be. It'd be a nice future to live in. Um, and so it's not surprising in the sense that that would feed into our real world design and that we start, you know, building that around us in the in the things that we design in the real world. So Aaron, if people uh, listening to this want to find out more about you or get in touch or hear more of your podcasts on the network what's the best way for them to find you
1: uh you can find me on twitter under the user geek filter and you can pretty much put that into any social media that'll be my my username and i'm always in the babel conference that's our facebook users group and you can hear me on saturday morning trek which is our animated series and all things trek in the 1970s podcast and i'm also co-host of the edge which is our discovery podcast so you can hear us talking about design uh on that show as well and, and hopefully we'll be having some of the designers, you know, when, when the embargo and all of this is, has been broken, they'll be uh, joining us for some, for some Q&A and, and, you know, answers to our questions about why things turned out the way they did and stuff. And should be interesting. Definitely, definitely. And also, of course, uh, you can see a lot of
2: Aaron's work on the, you, you know, the... Uh The show art for the different shows on various other artworks to do with the network, you know, he's the one uh, producing those those great images and including many great images of the Discovery, which, as I say, I think have really helped to you know, bring around fans to that design that maybe was was something that they were struggling with. So in a sense, if that's the design that got you into 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 design, you've kind of mm-hmm. paid back in a way by uh, yeah. by getting other people into it as well, by sharing that that's kind true. of
1: enthusiasm. I, that's probably one of my my proudest, you know, like people are just like I don't like the ship mm. or I didn't like the ship until I saw your poster. Or I like I may yeah. I don't necessarily like what I've seen, but I can see that they're is possibilities, and I'm going to give it a chance. Yeah. It's like, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know.
2: <laughs> well, it's been uh, fun talking about design in the Star Trek universe this week, Aaron, but uh, that's not the only thing that we've been doing on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at some of the other things you can find out about on the network.
0: Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks.
1: Oh, Matthew, I'm doing just fine. You know, it's always fun every week to hop on here. And talk Star Trek books and comics with you And I don't know if you realize this Matthew But this is our 200th episode
0: of Literary Wait a minute Matthew, we don't host this show anymore The 602 Club
1: I honestly was thrilled with the way that they set it up Because like you said, sort of like uh, Russian dolls I guess um, Is a good way to explain it
0: You introduce one character in this existing show and then it leads to that character's own show which leads to the next one's own show the edge a star trek discovery podcast
1: there were a lot of
2: comments talking about this roller coaster ride you Uh know yay i'm so excited treks on oh it's a prequel You know, oh, I saw the first trailer and I loved it. Oh, Brian Fuller's no longer working on it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's we're getting all this diversity. Oh, look at the Klingons, right? And you could just see it. Seriously, some fans have gone through some serious roller coaster rides to the
1: journey and so i could see the hirogen viewing themselves as very noble very civilized they don't Mm -hmm. let their prey suffer but really they're doing these horrific things just like we do here in the real world when we have to go fight wars
2: yeah absolutely i think they go home and they write an epic poem about
0: it and that makes (laughs) it (laughs) okay the the hirogen equivalent of beowulf and that's what else is happening on trek.fm So check out all of these shows and join in the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please do leave us a star rating and a written review at the same time. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. If you'd also like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com trekfm. Duncan and I would love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to get involved and do just that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners' group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. You can find Duncan and I on the Babel Conference as well, and you can find us both on Twitter at... Duncan at Barrett's Books and myself, Tony, at Black Hole Media. And you can also find me hosting my own podcast, The Xcast and X-Files Podcast if you type that into Twitter and Facebook. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Primitive Culture. We'll be back soon to discuss more history, culture and how Star Trek relates to it. You're blended up.